COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. Symptoms of this respiratory disease include fever, cough, and sharpness of breath. These symptoms may show up 2 to 14 days after exposure. If you're experiencing these symptoms and have come in contact with or in an area with an ongoing outbreak, please call a hotline and or consult a physician. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces. For more information, please visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the I Am Cannabis Sativa podcast. I'm your host, Dan Scotland. If you are currently a medical marijuana patient and want to tell your story and be featured on the podcast, feel free to email me at IamCannabisSativa at gmail.com. Feel free to hit us up on Instagram at IamCannabisSativa. You can also find me on Twitter at ICSativaPod. You can find and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor FM, Overcast, Radio Republic, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play Music Store, and more. Please rate and review us on iTunes as rating and reviewing us will bump up the pod on their algorithm and put this podcast in front of even more eyeballs. If you like what we are doing, please become a Patreon supporter of the podcast and support us. Supporting us helps us to keep the lights on, pay rent, pay for hosting, equipment, and travel. And you can do this by going to https colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash I am Cannabis Sativa podcast slash support. You can also support me now on Patreon at www dot patreon.com slash IC Sativa podcast. You can support this podcast for as little as $1 a month. We also have a $5 tier if you're feeling extra generous. A special thanks to our current patrons and supporters. Shout out to friends of the show Reefer Revolution for supporting the podcast. Shout out to our new Patreon and friend of the show Gracie Gatto. Shout out also to Joy One Love 420, also a friend of the show and founder of Keystone State Reviews. Becoming a Patreon or financially supporting us through Anchor, Patreon, PayPal gets you perks like early episodes, exclusives, and, and shout outs at the beginning of every episode. We also have been recently syndicated by friend of the show, Russ Belfill, and will now be featured weekly on Radical Russ Radio right before his show from Monday, 7 a.m., Tuesday, 9 a.m., Wednesday, 11 a.m., Thursday, 1 p.m., and Friday, 3 p.m., all mountain times. And without further ado, let's get to the episode. Howdy, y'all. Dan Scotland here joining you from Legal, Massachusetts, the heartland of America. I can be found anywhere you find podcasts such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play Store, and other platforms like it. You can find me on Instagram at underscore I am Cannabis Sativa. And then you can also find me on Twitter at IC Sativa Pod. All right. Um, so this is another brainstorming session. Um, we haven't done one of these in a while, but I feel that we need to do one. Um, and you're going to see how this ties into, um, the work that we as a podcast have been doing in, in terms of making cannabis accessible for average Janes and average Joes, you know, it, it often feels like, although we're making a huge amount of progress with cannabis, it often still feels like we're in the minority, but um, although we still are, we have a lot more leverage and we have a lot more power than than we believe that we have. The numbers that we have right now are enough to to make the change and affect the change we ultimately want to affect. We have the numbers at the moment. It's just a matter of of, of will and persistence. So I'm going to read, I want to do more sort of episodes like this where we tie history onto the greater struggle of, of us trying to get affordable, accessible cannabis all throughout the United States. So this is going to be a BBC article. This is a longer article. So, you know, it's probably going to take me at least 20 minutes to get, get through. So 
join along for the ride, I guess. The three and a half percent rule. How a small minority can change the world. This was written by David Robson. Nonviolent protests are twice as likely to secede as armed conflicts, and those engaging a threshold of three and a half percent of the population have never failed to bring about change. In 1986, millions of Filipinos took to the streets in Manila to, in a peaceful protest and prayer in the People's Power Movement. The Marcos regime folded on the fourth day. In 2003, the people of Georgia ousted Ed Eduard Servadese through bloodless rose revolution in which protesters stormed the parliament building holding flowers in their hands. While in 2019, the presidents of Sudan and Algeria both announced that they would step aside after decades in office thanks to, a peaceful, thanks to peaceful campaigns of resistance. In each case, civil disobedience by ordinary members of the public trumped the political elite to achieve radical change. There are, of course, many ethical reasons to use nonviolent strategies, but compelling research by Erica Chenoweth, a political scientist at Harvard University, confirms that civil disobedience is not only the moral choice, it is also the most powerful way of shaping world politics by a long way. Looking at hundreds of campaigns over the last century, Chenoweth found the nonviolent campaigns are twice as likely to achieve the goals as violent campaigns. And although the exact dynamics will depend on many factors, she has shown that it takes around 3.5% of the population actively participating in the protests to ensure serious political change. Chenoweth's influence can be seen in the Extinction Rebellion. Whoops, sorry about that. Try this again. All right. So I accidentally scrolled too much. All right. Do bear with me one moment. Okay, so I'll just read this paragraph again. Looking at hundreds of campaigns over the last century, Chenoweth found that nonviolent campaigns are twice as likely to achieve their goals as as violent campaigns and although the exact dynamics will depend on many factors she has shown that it takes about three and a half percent of the population actively participating in the protests to ensure serious political change Chenoweth's influence can be seen in the recent extinction rebellion protests which founders say have been directly inspired by her findings so just how did she come to those conclusions the organizers of the Extinction Rebellion have stated that Chenoweth's work inspired their campaign. Needless to say, Chenoweth's research builds on the philosophies of many influential figures throughout history. The African-American abolitionist Sojourner Truth, the suffrage campaigner Susan B. Anthony, the Indian independence activist Mahatma Gandhi, and the U.S. civil rights campaigner Martin Luther King Jr. have all convincingly argued for the power of peaceful protests. Yet, Chenoweth admits that when she first began her research in the mid-2000s, she was initially rather cynical of the idea that nonviolent actions would be more powerful than armed conflict in most situations. As the PhD student at the University of Colorado, she had spent years studying the factors contributing to the rise of terrorism, where she was asked to attend an academic workshop by the International Center of Nonviolent Conflict, ICNC, a nonprofit organization based in Washington, D.C. The workshop presented many compelling examples of peaceful protests bringing about lasting political change, including, for instance, the People's Power protests in the Philippines. But Chenoweth was surprised to find that nobody had comprehensively compared the success rates of various nonviolent versus violent protests. Perhaps the case studies were simply chosen through some kind of confirmation bias. I was really motivated by some of the skepticism that nonviolent resistance could be an effective method of achieving major transformations in society, she says. Working with Maria Stefan, the researcher of the IN, 
or the ICNC, Chenoweth performed an extensive review of the literature on civil disobedience, of civil resistance and social movements from 1900 to 2006, a data set that corroborated with other experts in the field. They primarily considered attempts to bring about regime change. A movement was considered a success if it activated its goals both within a year of its peak engagement and as a direct result of its activities. A regime change resulting from foreign military intervention would not be considered a success. For instance, a campaign was considered violent. Meanwhile, if it involved bombings, kidnappings, the destruction of infrastructure, or any other physical harm to people or property. We were trying to apply a pretty hard test to nonviolent resistance as a strategy, Chenoweth says. The criteria was, were so strict that India's independence movement was not considered as evidence in favor of nonviolent protests in Chenoweth and Stefan's analysis. Since Brennan... Since Britain's dwindling military resources were considered to have been a deciding factor, even if the protests themselves were, a, were also a huge influence. But by the end of the process, they have collected data of 323 violent and nonviolent campaigns and their results, which were published in the book. Why civil resistance work, the strategic logic of nonviolent conflict were so striking. Strength in numbers. Overall, nonviolent campaigns were twice as likely to succeed as violent campaigns. They led to the political change 53% of the time versus 26% of the time with violent protests. This was partially the result of strength in numbers. Chenoweth argues that nonviolent campaigns are more likely to succeed because they can recruit many more participants from a much broader demographic, which can cause severe disruption that paralysis normal urban life and the functioning society. In fact, of the 25 largest campaigns they, that they studied, 20 were nonviolent. 14 were outright successes. Overall, the nonviolent campaigns attracted around four times as many participants, 200,000, as the average not as the average violent campaigns, 50,000. The People's Power campaign against Mark the Marcos regime of the Philippines, for instance, attracted two million participants at its height. While Brazilian uprisings in 1984 and 1985 attracted 1 million, and the Velvet Revolution in Czechoslovakia in 1989 attracted 500,000 participants. Having attracted millions of supporters, the People's Power demonstrations removed the Marcos regime in the Philippines. Numbers really matter in building power in ways that can pose a serious challenge or threat to the entrenched authorities or occupations, Chenoweth says, and nonviolent protest seems to be the best way to get that widespread support. Once around three and a half of the whole population has begun to participate actively, success appears to be inevitable. There weren't any campaigns that had failed after they had achieved a three and a half percent participation during a peak event, says Chenoweth, a phenomenon that she has called the three and a half percent rule. Besides the people power movement that included the singing revolution in Estonia in the late 1980s and the Rose Revolution in Georgia in the er in, in, in early 2003. Chenoweth admits that she initially was surprised by her results, but she now cites many reasons that nonviolent protests can garner such high levels of support. Perhaps most obliviously, violent protests necessarily exclude people who, uh, who abhor bloodshed, who abhor and fear bloodshed, where, where, whereas peaceful protesters maintain the moral high ground. I'm going to read that sentence again because that's key. Perhaps most, most obviously, violent protesters necessarily, necessarily exclude people who abhor 
and fear bloodshed, whereas peaceful protesters maintain the moral high ground. That is key. That is key. We have to show that we are law-abiding citizens when we are activating for change. We are law-abiding citizens that, um, that have a certain goal or a certain um, vision for society. And we have to show that that vision that we're advocating for for society or, or in our case um, for cannabis legalization, for cannabis reform, for freeing the plant and freeing the people that use the plant, um, we have to show that this is going to improve society rather than burden society. And when you when you start using violent methods, when you start using methods that are divisive and that are going to alienate people, you lose that moral high ground and the anti-cannabis powers that be that are still in every aspect in of, of our society, even in legal states, we're still having to fight them in legal states. Like, like I've had to talk about, um, with regards to Massachusetts and regards to other legal states, we're still fighting those forces. When we, when we start, when we start, um, you know, losing our cool and when we start losing our cool and we, we don't abide by, um, nonviolent, nonviolent means. And, you know, we're, we're being rude and we're being abrasive to our politicians. We lose that moral high ground. And then people are like, see, I told you these stoners were no good. So again, the moral high ground is key. Now I'm not saying people can't, you know, make, um, comments about their politicians or, or, or even insult their co- co- politicians if they're not doing the will of the people. You can do that. You know, you don't have to be, I mean, again, no one, no one needs to be violent. Like it's okay to attack people with words. That's, that's fine. That's fair game. But you know, when we are, when, when we're, when we're using violence, when, you know, we're using threats or, or anything else that's abhorrent, you're going to lose that moral high ground. There, there is strength in numbers, but yeah, I mean, let's, let's continue the article. Anwar points out that that nonviolent protests also have fewer physical barriers to participation. You do not need to be fit and, and healthy to engage in a strike, whereas violent campaigns tend to lean on the support of physically fit young men. And while many forms of nonviolent protests also carry serious risks, just think of China's response to Tiananmen Square in 1989. Chenoweth argues that nonviolent campaigns are generally easier to discuss openly, which means new, that the news of their occurrence can reach a wider audience. Violent movements, on the other hand, require a supply of weapons, tend to rely on secretive underground operations, and might struggle to reach the general population. An elderly woman talks to the Algerian security forces during the recent protests. By engaging broad support across the population, nonviolent campaigns are more likely to win support among the police and military, the very groups that the government should be leaning on to bring about order. That's key. We've we've talked about this with our with the um with 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 the bill and with Kelly in our in our in our recent interviews. Um for better or for worse, police, police unions, corrections, they tend to be the stakeholders in cannabis reform throughout the United States. We do, we do have to play ball with these people. We do have to be civil with these folks. We do have to show that, you know, their, their misconceptions about the plant and the people that use the plant are wrong. You know, we don't have to, we don't have to be violent about it. But we can attack them in our words and we can disprove their their misconceptions and prove that allowing it is going to help the people and help the community. And that's uh, and that's what the police are, are in theory. That's what they aim to do to serve and protect the community. We're going to have to play ball with 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 our adversaries and opponents. And we're going to have to do it in a way that gives us the moral high ground. Using memes, using um, snarky comments, that's, that's, that's all fair game, you know? 
do we do we need to be do we need to be going for low blows when we when we comment on our opponents no we don't need to be going after low blows we don't need to insult their family we don't need to insult their friends or peers or whatever we don't need to be like oh my goodness all all of them are all terrible and we can never work with any of them no we don't have to do that you know we can say that they're usurping the will of the people we can call them tyrants that's that's fair game but again we don't need to we don't need to go overboard with our division you know we don't need to go overboard in our in our opposition to people that we may feel are barriers we don't need to go overboard because we're going to lose the moral high ground and we're going to lose the support of our our supporters in in this fight but again um let's let's continue during during a peaceful street protest of millions of people the members of the security forces may also be more likely to fear that their family and friends are in the crowd that's key that that is key police officers police unions corrections they have family and friends. They're not in a vacuum. They have wives. They have husbands. They have spouses. They have cousins. You know, if they if they feel if 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 they are made to feel that 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 um, banning medical cannabis and not allowing medical cannabis is going to hurt their friends, families, and peers, they're going to be less likely. They're going to be less likely to oppose it. If if they feel if if they are made to if it is if it is known that that continuing to um the war on on cannabis and continuing to oppose medical cannabis in some states is going to hurt their spouses it's going to hurt fellow police officers they may have PTSD or um that may benefit from the plant again they're going to change their tune okay people are not in a vacuum people engage with other people from um what regards to many areas of their lives people have family and friends of different backgrounds different races different orientations um and if people feel that they're going to hurt their 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 friends and family they're going to be less likely to take a specific action if if this is communicated to them in an effective um an effective way that does not use low blows then again, you, you'll be surprised at the change you're able to make with various stakeholders, even stakeholders that are that are pretty hostile to your interest. Meaning they meaning that they fail to crack down on the movement. Or when they are looking at the sheer numbers of people involved, they may just come to the conclusion that the ship has sailed and that they don't want to go down with the ship, Chenoworth says. In terms of specific strategies that are used, general strikes are probably the most powerful, if not the most powerful single method of nonviolent resistance, Channelworth says. But they do come at a personal cost, whereas other forms of protest can be completely anonymous. She points at the consumer boycotts in apartheid-era South Africa, in which many black citizens refused to buy products from companies with white owners. The result was an economic crisis among the country's white elite that contributed to the end of segregation in the early 1990s. Nonviolent protests are more likely to attract the support support across society. Here's a pro-reform protester faces security forces in Morocco in 2011. There are more options for engaging engaging in nonviolent resistance that don't place people at both physical in as much physical danger particularly as the numbers grow compared to armed activity channel says and the techniques of nonviolent resistance are often more visible so it is easier for the people to find out how to participate directly and how to coordinate their activities for maximum disruption magic number there are very general patterns, of course, and despite being twice as successful as the violent conflicts, peaceful resistance still failed 47% of the time. As Chenoweth and Stefan pointed out in their book, that's sometimes because they were never really they never really gained support or momentum to erode the power base of the adversary and maintain resistance in the face of opposition. But some, but some relatively large nonviolent protests also failed. 
such as the protests against the Communist Party in East Germany in the 1950s, which attracted 400,000 members, around 2% of the population at their peak, but failed to bring about change. In Chenoweth's data set, it was only once the nonviolent protests had received that 3.5% threshold of active engagement that success seemed to be guaranteed. And raising even that level of support is no mean feat. In the UK, it would it would amount to 2.3 million people actively engaging in a movement, roughly twice the size of Birmingham, the UK's second largest city. Shout out to my Birmingham listeners and all my UK listeners and all my listeners all over the world. We see you and we appreciate all the support we get from everyone from over 60 different countries and uh, territories. Thank you. Um, it, it does not go unnoticed. I have a lot of Birmingham listeners. Um, at one point, they were like top three in like my UK traffic. But again, we see, we see you. We absolutely do. In the UK, it would amount to 2.3 million people actively engaging in the movement, roughly twice the size of Birmingham, UK's second largest city. In the US, it would involve 11 million citizens, more than more than the total population in New York City. But again, I mean, in the US, we have 50 different states. You, you the, the the like that old saying um i mean i love elephants i don't advocate eating elephants or poaching or any of that nonsense but the way to eat an elephant is to start by doing it one bite at a time break this up into 50 different parts you just need three and a half percent of the population in each u.s state and when you when you look at it that way it becomes less daunting it becomes a lot less daunting but um let's let's continue the fact remains, however, that nonviolent campaigns are the only reliable way of maintaining that kind of engagement. A couple com commemorate the violent revolution of 1989, which helped bring down the communist rule in Czechoslovakia, another example of Chenoweth's 3.5% rule. Chenoweth and Stefan's initial study was first published in 2011, and their findings have attracted a lot of attention since. It's hard to overstate how influential they have been in this body of research, says Matthew Chandler, who researched civil resistance at the University of Notre Dame in Indiana. Isabel Br Bramson, who studies international conflict at the University of Copenhagen, agrees that Chenoweth and Stefan's results are compelling. It is now an established truth within the field that nonviolent approaches are more likely to succeed than violent ones, she says. Regarding the 3.5% rule, she points out that while 3.5% is a small minority, such a level of active participation probably means that many more people tactically agree with the cause. That is key. That is very, very key. Um, throughout medical marijuana states in the country throughout adult use states um if you have three if you have three and a half percent or three four percent or close to three percent of, of your population with medical marijuana cards those medical marijuana card holders have family they have spouses they have friends they have cousins they have nieces they have nephews um they have grandparents um they they have co-workers so on and so forth and if if an individual person with a card lets people in their lives know that they have one and that it is having a constructive influence on their life in treating their their pain and their illnesses those people i mean if you have good if you have good friends and you have family that supports you that provides you levels of support your family and your friends are going to ride for you they're going to ride for you. When reefer madness gets uttered, those people are going to stand up for you. You know, those people are going to say, no, th no, this, this is not more addicted than, than opioids. People need access to this. So when someone pops off at the mouth and starts saying unsubstantiated things about the plant and the people that use the plant, your friends, your family, your, 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 your people in your circles are going to ride for you. You know, they're going to ride for you. 
Um, and it is sad. Um, I think there was like a poll a couple of years ago um, with Massachusetts um, about, I think about 20% of, of uh, mass adults are regular users of, of cannabis right now. So with, with that 20%, there's, there's people, those 20% of, of the population have friends and family, friends and family. Um, and if people make the, make it known that this, this plan has helped help them benefit medically, again, those friends and family will ride for you. They'll show up at city council meetings when people are trying to block a dispensary from opening. Um, they'll write to their state Senator. They'll write to their state rep. Like there is strength in numbers. There really is. Uh, let's, let's continue this. These researchers are now looking to further untangle the factors that may lead to a movement's success or failure. Bramson and Chandler, for instance, both emphasize the importance of unity among demonstrators. As an example, Bramson points to the failed uprising in Bahrain in 2011. The campaign initially engaged and engaged many protesters, but quickly split into competing factions resulting in loss of cohesion, Bramson thinks, ultimately prevented the movement from gaining enough momentum to bring about change. Chenoweth's interest has recently focused on protests closer to home, like Black Lives Matter movement and the Women's March in 2017. She is also interested in the Extinction Rebellion, Recently popularized by the involvement of the of, of Swedish activist Greta Thunberg, they are up against a lot of inertia, she says. But I think that that they have an incredibly thoughtful and strategic core, and they seem to have all the right instincts about how to develop and teach through a nonviolent, resistant campaigns. Ultimately, she would like our history books in let me read that again ultimately she would like our history books to pay greater attention to nonviolent campaigns rather than concentrating so heavily on warfare so many of our histories that we tell one another focus on violence and even if it is a total disaster we still find a way to find victories within it she says Yet we tend to ignore the success of peaceful protests, she said. Ordinary people all the time are engaging in pretty heroic activities that actually that are actually changing the way of the world. And and they deserve some notice and some celebration as well. David Robinson is a senior journalist at BBC Future. Follow him at Twitter at D underscore a underscore robson all right end of article so you know we've alluded to it throughout reading it but um let's let's look at this chart again um i brought this chart i brought i brought up this chart in previous episodes but i think this bears repeating so this is from the marijuana policy project um these are, this is like a chart of, or this is like a table of all the medical marijuana programs in the United States. Um, it is said that there is a, that if over three and a half percent, if over two to three percent of your um, population has a card, then your medical marijuana program is a pretty successful program and it's, or, and it's a pretty um, well utilized program. Um, in a number of different states, you already have that. Um, um, in, in, I mean, Arizona sticks out, for example. Um, look at that. Um, so this was as of, so this number was collected as of um, March of 2020. We all know that Arizona voted on um, adult use in 2020. And it got over 60% of the vote. 60% of the vote. Four years later, they put it on the ballot and it failed. You did not have nearly 3% of the population with cards at that time. Um, and you also had Insys, the opioid manufacturer, donating half a million dollars to the, um, the against campaign. That didn't help matters either. Um, 
but you had a fever pitch of over 3% of the population with medical marijuana cards in, in the Grand Canyon state, you know, and they told their family, they told their friends, they told their colleagues about how they were benefiting from the plant and how, how every adult over 21 would be able to have over the counter access to the same plant that they've been benefiting for, for medical purposes. They're not going to have to be on a list. They're not going to pay the, um, several hundred dollars it takes to get a card and they can just get it over the counter and, and maintain their privacy and get all the same benefits that people with a card already get or they can grow they can grow um six to twelve plants um depending on their living situation and if they have multiple over 21 adults in that household and that that was able to be communicated and and legalization got over 60% of the vote in, in, in purple Arizona. That just shows that there are power in numbers. That, that, that proves the point that that article makes. Um, uh, let's, let's, let's look at other places. Um, Maine, Maine, for example, you have a huge amount of people with cards. Um, it'd be crazy to think that it'd be crazy to make the claim that a lot of that having as many people, utilizing the program did not make headway on, on getting it legal in 2016 and absolutely did because like i told you all those people told their family they told their friends they told cousins they told co-workers they told a bunch of people that this is a medicinal plant and you too can have that same over-the-counter access that i have and it's going to benefit people and it's going to benefit society um, Michigan, another state where you have a lot of people with cards, you'd be, you'd be crazy to make the claim that, that people, that people in that program telling their friends and family did not make headway on getting it done and getting it over the finish line. Montana, a, 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 a pretty red state, over 3.41% of the population have cards and it got over 57% of the vote same repeat that over and over again people told their friends and they told their family that you too can have that over-the-counter support we can save money as a state um not locking people up for using the plant you know people are going to use less medications on on state medicaid exchanges because they're using medical cannabis and we've gone over that in previous episodes um people take less doses of 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 various medications such as antidepressants, such as opioids, such as glaucoma medication, such as anti-seizure medication, and that's saving the state money. You know, um, New Mexico, they're gonna they're they're gonna legalize. I'm pretty sure they will this year. Um, Virginia, they've already done it. They it's already passed the Senate, it's already passed the House of Delegates, and it's gonna get to Northam's desk. And he's he said that he's going to sign it. Um, I mean, again, their program just started like, like, like last year, this year. So they're, they're so new, but you have a fever pitch of, of people that got out reefer madness Republicans. They were once a red state. They, they got rid of hurdles that they would have had to have faced 10 years ago. They got rid of all those people. They cleaned house. They, they got, they got a Democrat trifecta and now they're going to be the 16th state. Because enough people voted out the people that were going to be hindrances and put in people that were that like the plant and like the people that use it. No violence needed to be used. Right. Um so yeah, I mean that, that and, and Oklahoma, like I mean, let's 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 wrap up with talking about them. Oklahoma, they they're running they have the record right now. Oh, close to 8% of their population has medical marijuana cards. That momentum is unstoppable. It is unstoppable. No, no, they're not any, any opponents that are going to try to, to stop adult use from happening in 2022 are going to get steamrolled because of those numbers are that high. And like, like, um, the article was saying that those are just the people that have cards. There are many other people that tack, that tactfully agree with the fact that this is a medicine. There are many more percentages of people that maybe are are are, are, are buying on the black market and that that support that support the patients, even though they're not on the rolls. 
you know, they're, they're, they're writing to their lawmakers, they're writing to their governor, they're writing or the, and, or they're going to sign the petition when it comes around in 2022 to, to legalize, like they are going to get steamrolled. Cannabis opponents are going to try to take it off the ballot. Like they're not going to really have a chance because there's just too many of the population that, 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 that are unified in, in liking the plant and liking the people that use it. These are unstoppable numbers at this point. That's, this is over double of that three and a half percent number. So again, you break this up, you break this up slice by slice in, instead of overwhelming yourself with the whole thing. And you see that this is a lot more obtainable. The reform is a lot more obtainable than people make it out to be. Let me read this last article before we, we, we end the episode. Mississippi legalizes medical marijuana. What's next and what can be learned from Arkansas? 74% of Mississippi voters said yes to Initiative 65 to legalize medical marijuana. So what happens next? This is fantastic news, said Jamie Grantham with Medical Marijuana 2020, the citizen-based initiative that passed on the ballot. This is truly monumental for patients and families across Mississippi that passed yesterday. This is going to change so many lives. It's incredible. Grantham says that everything, that if everything goes as plans, the rules and regulations will be in place by July 2021. A month later, clinics can start applying, applying for medical marijuana licenses and growing the cannabis. Within four to six months, it could be ready for patients. And again, that's, 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 Let's uh let's provide some clarity here as well too. In case in case you're just listening to this podcast for the first time, um Mississippi, they voted on a free market medical marijuana program with over 20 something different qualifying conditions and a catch-all clause that allows nurses and doctors to recommend for any other condition that they see fit. There's and there's not going to be any cap on the amount of stores that can exist in the Magnolia state. Um, a lot of other states like Ohio and Arkansas, for example, they have an artificial cap on the amount of stores that can exist in the state. Um, you're still having a lot of good headway in, in Arkansas with their um, program. Um, according to calculations I did a couple of days ago, um, you have over, I believe, 80,000 patients right now. And they have around like close to 3 million people. And I, I did the math. They already have, they already have like 2.8% of their population with, with cards. Um, when that number hits three and a half, and if, 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 if people in the government try to play shenanigans with trying to prevent them from getting recreational, they're going to get steamrolled because those, those patients are not going to allow that to happen. Their family's not going to allow that to happen. Their friends are gonna, not going to allow that to happen. As long as they maintain the, the moral high ground and make it known to these stakeholders that you are going to honor the will of the people, there's not even a state that conservative like Arkansas is going to have any way to, to block legalization when you have that amount of numbers and that amount of pressure. But, um, but again, Mississippi is going to get a, their, their program is going to be like Oklahoma's minus home grow. It's going to be that good. If these lawmakers don't meddle, the patient could turn in their phys physician certificate to the department of health and receive their medical marijuana ID card. And at that point, they would be registered with the real statewide data center that is registered with the Department of Health and kind of manages the whole program, Grantham said. Unlike Arkansas, Mississippians have what is called a free market approach. Grantham says that th that means that patients won't have, that means that patients won't have to wait like Arkansas like patients in Arkansas did to get medical marijuana. In Arkansas, only a certain number of businesses can be part of the medical marijuana industry. The number currently stands at five. In Mississippi, that is not the case. It's based on supply and demand. About two to three percent of the population generally becomes patients. And the way we've done this, which works well in other states with the free market approach, the market will inform that we 
looked at what Arkansas was doing, and that wasn't ideal for Mississippians. We also looked at what all the other states were doing and what worked well and created our plan from that, Grant said Grandam. Former Mississippi Governor Ronnie Musgrove weighed in on the legalization of marijuana in the Magnolia State, saying it's a step in the right direction and shows that his state will finally be getting, will finally, is finally being what he calls progressive. Mississippi is now the 34th state to legalize medical marijuana, and there's still a lot of work to be done before sales start. Yeah, for example, we're going to have to continue to use our might um, nonviolently to make it be known that we're not going to accept meddling with this measure. We're not going, we're going to have to defend it. I know that there is a pending court case to try to overturn this, but again, we have to, we have to use a moral high ground like we talked about and we have to make it known that this meddling is not going to be allowed to stand or allowed to happen. The people voted on this. A huge, a huge overwhelming majority, over 70% voted yes on this. We're just going to have to utilize the people that have already voted and, and, and make it known that that will is going to be honored. Mrs. All right. So I already read that. Mississippians, Mississippi is now the 34th state to legalize medical marijuana, but there's still a lot of work to be done before the sales start. Mississippi can learn a lot from neighboring Arkansas and the years it took before pot sales started. M Medical marijuana was legalized in the natural state in 2016, but it wasn't until 2019 that dispensaries started to open up. Now there are 31 dispensaries in Arkansas, three in West Memphis. There is also a program to monitor them all called seed to sale. To say that this is a competitive process would be an understatement. There are very competitive licenses to say the least they're obviously doing very well the dispensaries are selling them on average about twenty thousand a day per dispensary said scott harden with the arkansas medical marijuana commission along with the 31 dispensaries there are eight licensed pot growers but it was a slow process to get to that point about three years I mean, in Massachusetts, we had to wait three between the time we voted for medical, which was in 2012. The first dispensary did not open until June of 2015. I mean, I, I remember talking about the opening of that dispensary in, in 2015 with my, one of my former co-workers that I was close to. Like, she was like, I, I think she was she was one of the first people to register. But even then, she was still like buying off the black market because the prices were so flipping high when they started and they're still high. But yeah, we had a, we ourselves had to wait three years before um, the first medical cannabis dispensary opened. We voted on it 2012. We didn't get it until summer of 2015. So we know that feel. We really do. Now that things are up and running, patients who need medical marijuana are getting it. Everything from cancer to chronic pain. So within that, you do have to get a physician to sign off on it and say that your name is on one of the qualifying conditions. And once you once you receive, you will be eligible to purchase two and a half ounces every fourteen days, says Harden. In the in the beginning, it was guesstimated that there would be forty to fifty thousand Arkansas. Arkansas, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm butchering that, who were issued medical marijuana cards. It is actually much higher than that. It is now at 90,000. It is expected to hit 100,000 by the ending of the year. 68% of 68% is voters in Mississippi election that approved legalized medical marijuana. 74% picked Initiative 65, the initiated plan on, on how to regulate the drug. Yeah, 74%. That is, they have the record in terms of, of, of medical marijuana approval. Mississippi has the record. Mississippi and Florida have the record. I think Florida was 71.3-ish, and uh, Mississippi, 74%. 74% want a free market approach where doctors have wide latitude to prescribe for any conditions that they see fit. 
and they don't want any caps on the amount of dispensaries and the magnolia state people they want whole flour they don't want these shenanigans that the lawmakers are trying to pull with initiative 65 hey they saw the banana in the tailpipe and they removed that banana and, and, and said we're not falling for these shenanigans but um yeah I, I just figured i would cover this i've been i've been wanting to cover something like this for a while um they're they're strength in numbers that three and a half percent number we become a force that can't be messed with when, when our numbers are that high you know because it's not just us that are patients it's not just the 3.5 percent of people that are affected it's all the people that work in those suspensions all the people that are employed by that industry you know and it's their family and friends that are on their side and and, and 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 other colleagues that are on their side you know you have the moral high ground when you can leverage that in a non-violent way as always i can be found anywhere you find podcasts such as itunes Castbox, stitcher tune in radio iheart radio radio google play store and other platforms like it you can find me at underscore i am sativa and then you can find me on twitter at ic sativa pod and as always everyone stay medicated my friends peace out and Ciao. If you find yourself coming around often to my podcast and want to support our humble little project, there are quite a few ways you could do so. Supporting us helps us keep the lights on, pay rent, pay for hosting, equipment, and travel. You can do this by going to https colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash i am canvas sativa podcast slash support you can also support me now on patreon at www.patreon.com slash ic sativa podcast you can support the podcast for as little as one dollar a month we also have a five dollar and above tier if you are feeling extra generous additionally if you wish to get in contact with us you can leave a voice message on anchor and you can do this by going to h https colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash i am canvas sativa podcast and click the send voice message button and i may just play it on a future episode you can also call and leave a voice message at 617-466-9389 and i may just play it on a future episode feel free to join the ever expanding i am canvas sativa podcast planet on discord we yes we've got a discord channel and that discord channel can be found at https colon slash slash discord dot gg greg greg slash 65TG2NR. Again, that is HTTPS colon slash slash discord dot GG slash 65TG2NR. Feel free to check out Sequoia Organics for a great source of CBD and hemp based products. You can check them out by the link HTTPS colon slash BIT dot LY slash 33FKRV9. And you can enter the following coupon codes for extra discounts, such, such as Dog Treat 20, Tincture 20, 40% sign off ISO, 15% sign off CBD. And that applies to the entire store. And as always, everyone, stay medicated, my friends. Peace out and ciao.